If you'd open your Bible to the book of 1 Samuel, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 9 tonight. Just as a reminder, we've been studying the nation Israel, and somebody asked me, uh, it wasn't long ago, hey, why is it so important to study the Old Testament? We're not Jewish, so, so what's the big deal? What's the, what's, what's, why do you guys spend so much time studying in the Old Testament? And, you know, as I began to think about that, that question, you know, there's a lot of reasons, and I certainly can't go into them all tonight. I mean, certainly there's a prophecy, the prophecy of the Old Testament. There's, it teaches us how to live before God. But I think the most important reason is it teaches us the character of God. It shows us who God was then, and it's the same God. He hasn't changed. So when we study the Old Testament, we see God's interaction with his people, the nation Israel. And as we study them, if we'll take a careful look at the nation Israel and, and what they do and how they act and how they behave, we'll find that we're a lot like they are. And we can see how God dealt with them in many of those situations but I think what we'll really see is that people have a tendency to think, well, the Old Testament God, well, he's just mean. He's just full of judgment. He's just full of wrath. But it's just the opposite. Because if we've, as, as we've been studying in 1 Samuel, we know for a fact, we saw it last week, what did the nation Israel do? They came before Samuel the prophet. Samuel the prophet was supposed to be the one leading the nation Israel. Israel, the name Israel means governed by God. So Samuel the prophet was the, the man standing between the people and between God. He was representing God to the people, but he was also representing the people to God. So the nation Israel, which is supposed to has been designed and been set up by God in a special and miraculous way, God wants to govern over them. He wants to be their king, if you will. And the nation Israel comes to Samuel and they say, you know what, Samuel? We, don't, we, we want a, re a regular king like everybody else. You know, all the nations, the Philistines, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Hivites, they all have kings. We want a king too. We're tired of being different than everybody else. I know we're supposed to be governed by God, but everybody else has a king, so, so we want a king too. And remember last week, Samuel went right to the Lord and he said, Lord, look at the people. And what did the Lord say? Samuel Give them a king. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting me as their king. Give them a king. But I want you to warn them first. I want you to warn them, Samuel. You go tell them. You tell them that a king is going to take their fields. It's going to take their sons to fight in the army. It's going to take their daughters. He's going to put taxes on them. He's going to put all these things in their life. Warn them, Samuel. And Samuel goes and tells the people. Remember, we mentioned it last week. An earthly king has whose best interest at heart? His own. His own. Do you think, I mean, we'll just use our president. Do you think, his, do you think your, our president of the United States has your best interest at heart personally? No. Do you think at very best he can have the nation's best interest at heart? But when God's the king, God has your personal best interest at heart. You personally. He knows what's best for Rob. He knows what's best for us personally. But the nation of Israel says, we don't want that. We want a king like everybody else. We don't care that it will cost us our sons and our daughters. and We don't care about, about all that. We want a king. So give us a king. So the Lord said, go ahead, Samuel. Give them what they want. Now, I didn't mention it last week, but in that, think about this. They're going to the Lord. They're asking for something. It's outside of God's will, but yet God honors their wish. They're going to the Lord. They're saying, Lord, we want a king like everybody else. And God's heart, and we've studied through this, God's heart is, I want to be your king. That's why you're called Israel. That's why you're called governed by God. But nevertheless, I'll give you what you're asking for. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You see, so often in life we're looking for our will to be done. Israel's will, they wanted a king. And God says, I'll give you what you ask for. That lets me know it's possible for us today to go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. Can I have this? Will you give me this? And finally he says, yeah, go ahead. I'll give it to you. I've been blessed by the Lord. No, you really haven't. Because we're going to find as we study through this book and study more and we get to deeper into the history of Israel, the king is not a blessing for them at all. It's going to be a problem for them. It's going to be a big problem for them as time goes on. So I'd say that as a warning to us. Be careful what you ask for. When you pray, pray for the Lord's will. Don't go to the Lord with your hand out saying, God, I want this, I want that. Can you do this? Can you do that? Go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want in my life? What is it that you want from me? So the nation of Israel says, we want a king. Samuel says, fine, I'll give you a king. And he tells them at the end of chapter 8, everybody just go on back to your house. Go on back to your house. Then we pick up in chapter 9 this evening. I'll pick up in verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Beal, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacharoth, the son of Ephiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and a handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So we're going to meet tonight the very first king of Israel. And we read that he comes from a prominent family as a Benjamite. When it says there in verse uh, 1, at the end of verse 1, a mighty man of power, it means he's a man of wealth. He's a man of influence. So Saul's dad was wealthy. He was influential. He was, he was powerful, if you will. That's the way the, the scripture describes it. And he has a son named Saul. But we find some interesting things about Saul. What do we find out about him? He's a, he's a choice man. He's a handsome man. He's a head taller than everybody else. He's more handsome than anybody in the entire kingdom. This is what you want in a king, right? This is what you want your king to look like. I want him to be taller and stronger. I want him to be handsome. So when we take his picture, we put him on magazines, he'll look good. This is who we want to represent him. He's our representative. But here's the problem. Israel didn't really want a king. What they wanted was the image of a king. And that's what God was giving them. They didn't really want a king because they had a king. You see, a king is going to protect them. A king is going to lead them into battle. A king is going to provide for them financially and help them and, and make sure their fields are tended to and make sure that, you know, that, that he can take care of some of their needs and, and be there for them if he needs them. But God could do all that. God could do all that. As a matter of fact, God had done all that for the nation of Israel. So what you really find when you cut out all the garbage, you find out that Israel... They just, they just wanted the image of a king. You see, they wanted somebody here that they could see. What God wouldn't do is present himself in bodily form. Yet, we know he will later with his son, Jesus Christ. But at this point, the nation of Israel goes, we want a king like everybody else. We want him to rule us. God says, fine, I'll give you a king. You want an image of a king? I'll give you the most handsome, the tallest, comes from a prominent background, a wealthy background. I'll give you the man, the image that you want. That's what, they, that's, what, that's what we're going to see happen tonight. Now look at verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Kish was Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. 
So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalasha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, and they were not there. Then they passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. Strange twist here. Strange twist taking place. So we know that the Israelites have asked for a king, but going on on the other side or away, a little bit farther away, is this guy by the name of Saul and this guy by the name of Kish, his dad. And Kish has some donkeys. Donkeys, just donkeys. That was wealth in those days. It was like having a Ferrari or a fancy car. Or it was, you know, not everybody had donkeys. You were, if you had donkeys, you were, you were wealthy. But the problem was his donkeys were, were missing. They were lost. So he says to his son Saul, hey, take one of the servants with you and go on out and see if you can find my donkeys because they're missing. And I really like to get my donkeys back. So go on out and see if you can find my donkeys. And Saul, being a good son, does what he's supposed to do. He takes the servant and he goes out and they're, they're looking for donkeys. Verse 5, when they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. By this point, they've been gone a couple of days. So Saul's already looked for the donkeys for a couple of days, and now he says, listen, let's just go on back home. We're not going to find the donkeys. And besides, my dad's probably worried more about me now than the, than the donkeys. That, that, that would make sense, right? I'm surprised he looked that long. I'm surprised he, stayed, he was that diligent in looking, but he doesn't. He's, he keeps looking, but then he comes to the point where, you know, he's about ready to give up. He's about ready to give up. And verse 6, and his servant said to him, look, now there is in this city a man of God. He is an honorable man, and all that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. So the servant says, wait a minute, Saul, before we give up and go back home, I got an idea. Here in this city, there's a man of God. There's a man of God there. And he's an honorable man, and everything he says comes to pass. So let's go ask him. Let's go see. Now, they haven't, they're not a real spiritual group going on here. There's, there's, no, there's no record of a prayer before this, but they say, wait a minute. You know, we're, we've come this far. I heard about this guy. And they're talking about Samuel here. I've heard about this guy, Samuel. Let's go ask Sam what's going on. Maybe Sam will tell us where the, where the donkeys are. Let's go see what he says, okay? And then Saul says, in verse 7, Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I'll give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go see the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. So the servant says, Saul, I got a quarter shekel of silver, which wasn't very much money, by the way. Some would estimate a quarter shekel as being, uh, you could probably say a quarter of an ounce. That, that would probably be a good guess. In today's value, a quarter of an ounce of silver is worth three or four bucks. Maybe, I think silver's around $14 or $15 an ounce right now. Now, there's no way for us to know what silver was worth back then, but it's, it's not a lot of money. They're, they're, they're on the tail end of their trip. They're out of food. They've run, they don't have a whole lot of cash with them. So Saul says, wait a minute, if we're going to go see the man of God, we've got to bring him a present. 
I've got to bring him a gift. And it's not like that was required. It was just something that, that Saul's saying, that's, that's what you do. You're going you're gonna to bring something to him. It wasn't like he had a, a list, you know, for lost donkeys, it's a quarter shekel. And, you know, lost pigs is a half shekel. They don't have pigs. They're Jewish, remember? Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so it wasn't like he had, a, he, had a, he had a standard of cost. It was just saying, hey, we want to give something to the man of God for what he can do for us. Now, so Saul answers and says in verse, t- oh, I forgot in verse 9, he says, formerly in Israel it was called a seer. And they called him a seer or a seer because they could see into the future. And they, they, would, have, they would have the ability to predict what was, what was going to take place in the future. Prophet, maybe you've heard of prophet, he's prophesying or he's predicting the future. The seer was a seer into the future. So Saul says in verse 10, well said, good idea, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Now, I've already kind of ruined it for you. You already know Saul's going to be the first king of Israel. I've already told that to you. And if you didn't know it, well, you know now. But I want to share something with you. Look at the circumstances in Saul's life that God is using. He's using lost donkeys to lead Saul to the throne of Israel. Think about it for a minute. God's working in Saul's life. Saul's going to be the next king of Israel. Saul wakes up one morning. Oh, the donkeys got out again. Dad, the donkeys are out. I know. Why don't you take the servant and go get them? Again? Can't we just get some new donkeys that will stay home? We got lots of money, Dad. Do we have to really go get those donkeys? And of course, I'm putting in my own commentary here. So Saul goes off on what we're going to be told is a three-day journey looking for these lost donkeys. But God was doing something. God was using the circumstance of Saul's life to bring him to the throne of Israel. That lets me know and that can let you know that God can use the circumstances in your life too because he's doing something. Now, here's what we need to understand. Here's what we need to remember. When we look at the circumstances in our life, we can look and say, Lord, what are you doing in this? Sometimes we'll clearly see what God's doing through a circumstance. Other times we won't see it at all. Sometimes we'll see it as it's, as it's unfolding, which Saul's going to find out. He's going to be able to put it all together shortly. But here's what I want you to, there's, there's a warning that goes along with that. Because when you realize that the circumstances that are happening in my life are being led by the Lord, the circumstances that are happening in your life are being led by the Lord, there's a tendency that I have to warn you against, don't over-spiritualize everything. Every single circumstance isn't God doing something deep. Okay, which means like if you wake up tomorrow and, and you're out of coffee and you don't have any coffee to, and, you, and you say, well, I'm going to have a bad day because I don't have coffee. Don't look and go, well, Lord, what does it mean that I don't have coffee? It means you drank it all yesterday and you didn't get any new coffee. You know, don't. So, so there's a tendency sometimes in Christianity to over spiritualize these things and go, all right, well, I stubbed my toe. God, what does that mean that I stubbed my toe? It means you moved the, your wife moved the bed when you weren't looking or moved the furniture or something like that and you ran into it. So don't over spiritualize something like that. But at the same time, don't make the mistake of missing the fact that God works through circumstances. And the circumstances you go through and that you're dealing with can very well be a major thing that God's doing in your life. Even the difficult ones. I bet Saul is like every other son. I bet he's on the donkey hunting trip complaining. I don't like these stupid donkeys. I don't care about these donkeys. I want to get home. Three, I've, been, I've been gone for three days. I've had enough. And the guy goes, and the servant goes, well, let's go see the prophet. Let's go see Samuel. He'll tell us where the donkeys are. Maybe. We don't have any money. Well, no, I've got a quarter shekel. 
Well said, let's go. So off they go to see Samuel the prophet. Verse 11. As they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to him, is the seer here? Notice it's young women. Samuel, or Saul was a good-looking guy, right? So he's heading out. Here comes the young women out to draw water. He says to them, hey, is the seer here? And, of course, there's some interaction. The Jewish rabbis actually believe it was a flirtatious thing that took place there, that it was because Saul was so good-looking that the women actually approached him. That's what's taught um, from the, in, in, in the synagogues, and it's still taught to this day. So he has this interaction with these young ladies. They're probably giggling, thinking, oh, what a handsome and tall man he is. Is the seer here? And they say to him, in verse 12, they answered him and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you'll surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. And afterwards, those who are invited will eat. So the servant says, let's go check the seer out. Let's go ask the prophet where, where the donkeys are. They're on their way to the city. They meet some young ladies going out to draw water. And they say, hey, is the prophet here? Yeah, he's, you just missed him. He just, he, he just walked by us. He's, he's probably right inside the gate there. He can't go. He's going to go up and bless the sacrifice there shortly. If you hurry, you can find him. So what do you think he did? Headed towards the city. It's verse 14. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. So Saul meets with the young ladies. They say, there he is. They start to head towards the city. And just as they're coming into the city, what a coincidence. Here comes Samuel walking out. Do you really think it's a coincidence? No, it was, it was, this is all done by the Lord. Here's the cool thing. Saul has, or Saul has no idea what the Lord's doing in all this. To him, this is just an ordinary day that's taking place like every other day. There's just, it's just, there's nothing, nothing unique, nothing different. I'm just looking for the donkeys. I'm looking, and now, now because I'm desperate, I'm looking for the prophet. I really want to find the prophet. So he goes to the city. Here comes the, oh, look who's walking out the door. Look who's walking out. It's the prophet. Now, so they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel going out towards them on his way up to the high place. Now look at verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people, Israel. So, the day before Saul shows up, the Lord had told Samuel in his ear, and the word there references to like pulling back a wig or pulling back something covering his ear and whispering it to him. It doesn't mean he heard an audible voice. It means that he's, the Lord's revealing to Samuel, hey, tomorrow I'm going to send you who I want to be king of Israel. The Lord knows the future. The Lord's working this out. But I want you to notice something about Samuel. He doesn't do anything about it. The Lord reveals to Samuel, tomorrow I'm going to use you to anoint the first king of Israel, Samuel. But Samuel, and, he's going, and he doesn't tell him what his name is. He, says, he tells him when he's going to see him, tomorrow about the same time. About the same time tomorrow he's going to, you're going to see him. And he's going to be from the tribe of Benjamin. Now Samuel could have taken that information and tried to use it on his own. He could have went out and tried to identify the, who, who's, who's this going to be. 
All the new people. Are you from the tribe of Benjamin? Are you from the tribe of Benjamin? Where are you from? What's your name? Who are you? He could have went out and tried to do, make this happen all on his own, but Samuel does, does nothing. He just waits on the Lord. He doesn't worry about it. He doesn't think about it. He, just, he knew it was going to happen because the Lord said it was going to happen. He didn't have to put forth his effort to make it happen. He didn't have to go like, like he's on a scavenger hunt trying to find the next king of Israel. He knew the Lord would bring him there. Tomorrow about this time, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin. You shall anoint him commander over my people. Look what it says. That he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. Wait a minute. This is the God they're rejecting. This is the God that they said they didn't want anything to do with, that they wanted a king. We don't want to be governed by God anymore. We want a king to rule us. We want a king to take us into battle. But God hasn't left them. I want you to see the grace of God in that. If someone rejects you, don't you usually reject them right back? If someone, I got to tell you a story. This morning I was, uh, I was with, Rebecca and I, were, were, we just finished our, our family Bible study. And uh, I had put out my hand to, to like hold hands with her. And, and she, her mind was thinking somewhere else, and she was, was talking to one of the kids, and, and she didn't really, she was doing three things like moms are usually doing all at the same time, and I put out my hand to her, and I waited about two seconds, and, I, and, I, and just as I started to pull it back, she started to reach for mine because she realized that I had extended my hand to her. But what did I do? Too late. You missed it. Maybe wait two seconds. I'm pulling it back. You missed it. You rejected me. That's it. No, no time, you know. And then I, 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 we laughed about it because I realized what had taken place, and I thought, Man, I am glad that's not the heart of God. I'm glad that's not his heart. That every time he extends a hand, every time he says, hey, listen, I want to help you with this. Hey, listen, I want to share this with you. Hey, I want to, I want to teach you this. I want to show you this in my word. And we go, no, Lord, I don't have time. He goes, well, too bad. Nice trial. You'll never hear from me again. That's it. I'm done with you. You rejected me again. In our human sense, that's what we do to somebody else. If you reach out to somebody, they reject you. What's your first? I don't have time for me. I don't have time for them. You know, we have a tendency to shut them off and, and not want anything to do with them. But that's not God's heart. This is the nation that has been rejecting him over and over and over and over again for the last several hundred years. For the last several hundred years. And here he says, here he says, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. I want to save them from the hand of the Philistines. And they want a king. It's not my plan. It's not what's best for them. I'll give them what they want, and I'm going to use what I've given them. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool God that can put all that together and say, listen, you're rejecting what, what, is really what I really want for you, but I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I'm still going to be with you. I'm not going to pull away from you. If he'll do it for them, he'll do it for us. He'll do it for us today too. He does the same thing for us. He's still with them. He's still with us. The Lord had this whole situation perfectly orchestrated. Saul, notice this, Saul had no idea what God's, God was doing. He was just wandering through life looking for donkeys. Just, where's the donkeys at? Here, donkey. How do you look for donkeys? I mean, I'm sure a lot of donkeys out there. Was he calling them? Was he whistling for them as he walked along? I don't know. He's just wandering through life. And God's using him. He's guiding him. He's directing him. Do you think he got to the town that Samuel was in by accident? 
No, every little step along the way. As he comes into the town, he sees the girls. All right, where's the seer? Oh, he's up ahead of you. As he comes closer, Samuel walks out. Oh, you're just the guy I was looking for. Imagine that. What a coincidence. No, God's directing everything. One man has no idea what God's doing. The other man is perfectly aware. The man who's in touch with God, the man who hears the voice of God, is aware of what God is doing. The man who's not interested in the things of the Lord, the man who's not doing anything about it, who's just looking for his donkeys, has no clue in his life about what God's doing. Which one are we? Are we the one that hears the voice of God and is in touch with the Lord and knows what the Lord's doing in our life? We see him moving, we see him orchestrating, we can say, all right, Lord, I don't know why I'm going this way, but I'm just going. I don't know why this is happening this way, it's just happening. Last Sunday, I shared about open doors in your life. If you were with us on Sunday night at prayer, the last thing I prayed before we left was what? If you remember, I said, would you give us the opportunity, Lord, to lead somebody to Christ this week? Would you give us that opportunity? Lord, could you just give us that chance to lead somebody to Christ? I want you to know that I left here on Sunday night. I went with Becky and Brad over to uh, Roy Rogers to get something to eat. And before I walked into the restaurant, I, left, I led a girl to Christ in the parking lot. She was standing there by herself, looking for food. She was hungry. I, actually, I went in, I ordered some food for her. I came back out, I started talking to her. I started sharing Christ with her. And she was homeless at that time. But before she left, she, she pray, wanted to pray and accept Christ into her life. God was doing something right there. He was using my poor decision to get unhealthy food, but he's still using it. But he's still using it. He's still, he's, he's still saying, oh, that, is that what I have best for you? No, but if you're going to go there, I might as well use you there. You know, I'll, I'll still do that. So what we have is, is in this message tonight, we have one guy, Saul, who's completely oblivious to what God's doing. We have another man who God says, hey, I'm going to use, I'm going to bring the next king, king of Israel to you. He didn't know how. God, Samuel didn't know how he was going to come. He just knew that he was going to come. Now let's continue. Verse 17, so when Samuel saw, Samuel saw Saul, that's a tongue twister, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me, where is the seer's house? He didn't even know who he was. Saul's coming up to the gate. He sees Samuel walking out. Now, I don't know what a prophet looked like. I don't know what a seer looked like, but apparently he wasn't dressed special. Apparently he was dressed like everybody else. He wasn't dressed in any fancy clothes because Saul didn't recognize him. Saul actually said to Samuel, hey, can you tell me where the seer's house is? I need to, I need to see the seer. I need to, and as this is taking place, the Lord's whispering in Samuel's ear, that's him. That's the one I'm going to anoint over Israel. That's the one. Look what Samuel says. Samuel answered Saul and he said, I am the seer. I wonder, I, I, I wonder the tone of that. I wonder if it was like, I'm the, I, you, know, you know how you read something and you can't really get the tone of something? I wonder what the real tone, I wonder if it was a little sarcastic. I wonder if it was, a little, if it was just real quiet. I just wonder what the tone of that was. He says, I am the seer. And look what he tells him. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't be anxious for them, for they have been found. Now let me just show you, try to set you into this scene. Saul's coming into the city. Samuel's walking out. Saul says, hey, can you tell me where the prophet's house is? And he goes, that's me. I'm the prophet. 
He goes, I'm the prophet. And then he says to him, then he says to him, come on up with me to the high place. You're going to eat with me today and tonight. And then tomorrow I'll let you go. Oh, and by the way, the donkeys that you lost three days ago, they've been found. Don't worry about them. Now, don't you think Saul's mouth would have went, like dropped wide open? Like, what? How did he know? How did he know I'm looking for donkeys? How is it even possible? This guy's, I even have to pay the quarter shekel. I already got the answer out of him. This is good. Come on, let's get out. Oh, we got to go to dinner. He's having us over for dinner. We got to go eat. He says, but as tomorrow I'll let you go and you'll tell all this in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were found and were lost three days ago, don't be anxious about them for they have been found. But look at the next statement in the end of verse 20. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? Samuel asks it in question form. He says, and on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you? Let me put that in English for you. You know how Israel wants a king, Saul? You're him. Not only did I just shock you by telling you your donkeys are found, that you were looking for donkeys. Everybody knew that Israel wanted a king. This was common knowledge. This was the people had gotten together and wanted a king. Look what it says. On whom is all the desire of Israel. The desire of Israel at this point in time is for a king. That's what they want. They want a king. That's, they want an image of a king. And Saul, you're going to be that king. Talk about shocking. I just wanted my donkeys. I saved the quarter shekel. I get my donkeys back. I'm going to get a free meal. And now you're telling me I'm going to be the king of Israel? This is a big day for him. You, know, I just want to, you, know, you ever be away from home for a while and just, you just want to go home? I mean, you just, you know, it's nice to get away. It's nice to spend some time with family or friends or vacation. But there comes a point and just, I just want to go home. I just, I just want, and I'm sure that's, all. wait a minute, I got to eat. I'm going to get a meal. And wait a minute, you just said I'm going to be king of Israel. Look at Saul's response. Saul, and Saul, verse 21, and Saul answered and said, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak like this to me? Saul says, wait a minute, Mr. Prophet. I'm a Benjamite. We're the little tribe. And my family, we're a, we're a little family, which isn't really true. Because we read earlier that he was a wealthy and a prominent family. They were a, he was a powerful family. But there's his humility's coming out. You know, he's getting told this. This is what you're going to be by a prophet who's got some credibility because he just told him his donkeys were found. And he didn't even say a word about donkeys. He says, now you're going to be the king of Israel. And Saul is answering here in humility. And really what he's answering is, who am I? Who am I? I'm not a king of Israel. I'm not the one that you need. I, who, I, I'm just from a small family. I'm from a small tribe. You need somebody more powerful than me. Verse 22. Now Samuel took Saul and his servant, and he brought them into the hall. And he had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you. This was pre-planned. Shows his steps of faith to plan what God had said. Bring the portion which I gave you. See, the Lord had told Samuel the day earlier that Saul was going, he didn't say Saul, but he said the, the, the next king of Israel would be coming. Saul takes the steps because they couldn't cook like we do. 
For us to make a meal, you just go out to the kitchen, pop it in the microwave, and you're good. They had to kill the animal, bleed it out, dress the meat, get it all ready, start roasting it. It was, it was a long process. This shows that Samuel was acting in faith on what God had told him. God said, Samuel, I want, this, I want you to do this. Well, fine, set the best part of the meat aside for him. Now, how do you think Saul feels? I haven't had a shower. I'm not ready for dinner. I haven't cleaned up. I've been on the road for three days. I'm dusty. I'm dirty. My feet are dirty. I need, I, I. But he comes to dinner, and he's set in the most honoring place there. He sets him in a place of honor among those who were invited. There are about 30 people, and Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave you, which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part, and he set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you. Since I said I invited the people, so Saul ate with Samuel that day. Big day for Saul. From hunting goats to king of Israel. Hmm? Donkeys, not goats. Thanks, honey. <laughs> Big day for Saul. Verse 25. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. They arose early. It was about the dawning of the day, day that Samuel called to Saul on top of the house, saying, Get up. Saul's sleeping in. Get up, that I may send you on your way. Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. So we close this chapter with this meeting that would seem, well, lucky. We would seem sort of uh, uh, coincidental. But it's not lucky and it's not coincidental. What we really see is a divine appointment. And I want you to take a couple things away from tonight's message. I want you to take away, number one, what we talked about in the beginning. Sometimes God will allow the things that you ask for into your life. But they're not necessarily his will. He will allow the things that we ask for into your life, but it might not be what's best for you. It's always best to pray for his will. Number two, I want you to understand something. God works through the circumstances in our life. As we travel through life, you're going to get a lot of ups and downs, a lot of good times, a lot of bad times, some happy times, some sad times. There's going to be a lot of different things that life throws you. The longer you live, the more you see. The more you go through, the more you endure. But here's what you can be sure of. God's doing something. And he's doing something to prepare you for eternity. He's not here trying to make you comfortable on this earth. He's not even concerned, overly concerned about your health or your wealth. He's concerned about, are you ready for eternity? I need to prepare you for eternity because eternity is not the hundred years that we might live if we're lucky on this earth. Eternity is eternity. He said, I've got some work to do in Rob. I've got to get him prepared. I want to use him once my kingdom comes. I don't get to sit on a cloud and strum a harp for the rest of eternity like we see in the cartoons. God says, I've got work for you to do. There, there's, a whole, there's, a whole, there's a lot out there that, we don't, that we're not even aware of, a whole spiritual realm that we don't see. I've got things for you to do. So understand that God's working through the circumstances in your life. But don't over-spiritualize things. Don't, like I said, don't take every little thing in your life and go, well, that's God's doing something. He might be, he might not be. But expect him that when something is going, 
that the circumstances can, let me see, how can I say it? Expect the circumstances in your life to be producing the work of the Lord. Expect the things that you go through to be producing things in you from the Lord. You know, because everything that we go through is preparing us for something else. Everything. I don't believe that we go through anything that God's not going to use. I believe that even in a case where somebody chooses to go off and live a life of deliberate sin, God says, I'll redeem that if you'll come back to me. I'll use that if you'll come back to me. I'll use that to help you minister to other people if you'll come back to me. I'll use that difficult situation you're going through or you went through, I'll use that in other people's lives if you'll let me. But you have to be willing to let him. You have to be willing to let him. It's a whole new concept of, it's a whole new way of living life. It's if we can come to the place where, you know what? A lot of people believe in God. A lot of people believe in Jesus. But is he your king? You see, Israel wanted the image of a king. If we have the image of a king, we'll follow that king. Well, in Jesus, they got their king. They got the king of kings. They got the Lord of lords. They got the prophet, and they got their high priest. And they rejected him. They rejected him. He was the perfect king. He was, he was the, we want to be free from Roman rule. That's what we want. And Jesus says, no, no, don't worry about Roman rule. They're only going to be around a couple hundred more years. Don't worry about them. Worry about eternity. How many of us are worried about Roman rule? Do we care about Roman rule right now? No, we're not even, we don't even think about that. We think of Italy and good food. We don't think about the boot of the Roman government coming on top of us. That was their concern. That's what they wanted Jesus to do, free them from the Roman government. He fulfilled their king. He needs to be our king. He needs, to, he needs to be the king of kings, the Lord of lords in my life. What that looks like is I am someone who says, you know what, Lord? I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be led by you. I will look for the doors that you open. I won't tell you where to open doors. I won't make you open doors. I won't even force doors open, but I'll be willing to go. When you tell me to forgive somebody, I'll forgive. When you tell me to love somebody, I'll love. When you tell me to do this or to do that, I'll do it because your word tells me to do it because I read it in your word and that's how I'm supposed to live. Can we be people like that? Only with his help. Only with his help because we can't do that unless we're willing. But if we're willing to yield, he'll be the one that leads us and he'll be the one that guides us. When we refuse his ways, we're setting ourselves up as God, saying, I know better, I wanna do it my way. His way is always better. The kings of Israel would be concerned about themselves. King Jesus is concerned about you personally. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word that we can study in the book of uh, Samuel tonight. And Lord, we see, this, we see this laid out for us. As a, nation, as a nation rebels against your ways and your plans, you don't leave them, you don't forsake them. Instead, you come alongside them and say, I'll use what, what you have, all in the hopes of drawing them back to you, Lord. And Father, we can do the same thing. We can be rebellious. We can go against your word and go against your ways. And Lord, I, I, I find it so comforting that you don't leave us, that you don't forsake us, that you're with us. Lord, may we be people that come back to you. May we not be away for long. And Lord, may we, may we take the things that you've called us to do in your word and may we live by them. Even if we don't understand them, even if we have, find it difficult to do them, May we yield to what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name.
Amen.